Welcome back to another episode of the Been There, Read That podcast. I'm your host, Nathan Batty, and as always, this program is brought to you by ChristianResearcher.com. Today is a new experience for me. I'm recording this podcast from the cab of my pickup truck. I have been run out of my office in my house by the sound of the washing machine, the dryer, and a screaming baby. And so I'm sitting out here in the cold in the state of Indiana in my truck trying to record a podcast for our listening audience today, so I ask that you would bear with me today. If you hear any strange noises in the background, it's probably only the geese that are passing by in droves overhead, or maybe the dog that's tied up in his backyard. A number of sounds going around me, but it is better than what's going on indoors. So anyway, if you'll bear with me today, we'll try to get this episode underway. Today is going to be the first of six or seven episodes where I discuss books that have left a mark. What I mean by that is books that have left a mark on how I view the Bible, how I study the Bible, my religious thinking in general, books that I've read over the course of my lifetime that I feel like are really important reads or had a major impact on my thinking. Not all of the books will be recommended but I will have some discussion about why they impacted me and how they impacted me. I'm going to start off by discussing this week some books geared towards young people. Some of these books I read when I was a younger person. Others I wish I had read as a young person. I either did not read them at that age because of choice of neglect or because they weren't yet published. But I want to share some books that are kind of geared more towards Young people, I've, I've had a number of young people come up to me and talk to me about my podcasts, have given some very encouraging words, and I know that they're list, out there listening, if that describes you. I hope you'll consider thinking about these books if you haven't already read some of these titles, that you'll obtain a copy. And by the way, in the dis- description of the episode on whatever uh, platform you are listening to this podcast, I have provided a list of titles and authors of all the books discussed today, as well as hyperlinks so that you can easily click on the hyperlink and find it in a bookstore. Some of the links will take you to our bookstore at christianresearcher.com as we have a number of these titles available. Others will take you to uh, Amazon so you can obtain a user new copy or to uh, CEI bookstore where they provide some of the materials. But anyway, check out the description on whatever platform you're, you listen to the podcast on and track down a couple copies of this book and read them. Preferably read them with someone else. Okay, so as I get started, I'm going to list 13 books today. So we're going to have a discussion of a baker's dozen. But before we jump into those titles, I want to talk about one author who gets kind of honorary mention. I'm not going to list a particular book by this author, but an author who has had somewhat of an impact on my thinking, especially in the realm of apologetics, which I think is important for young people, is Norman Geisler. 
So Norman Geisler is from a Baptist type of a background, so I wouldn't recommend his stuff when it comes to matters of salvation, matters of worship, but in the realm of apologetics, especially in discussion of why we believe in God, uh, defense of the Bible, defense of Christianity, that type of thing. Geisler has been really helpful through the years. He's written several books, uh, like When Skeptics Ask. Um, he co-authored I Don't Have Enough Faith to Be an Atheist with Frank Turek, which is a really good book. Uh, he's written a book called The Battle for the Resurrection that argues in defense of a bodily resurrection. Really good book there. Anyway, he's written a number of things, and there's not one particular book that stands out in my mind, besides maybe A Battle for the Resurrection, but kind of as an aggregate whole, Geisler has had an impact on my thinking in the realm of apologetics. He's really put out some good material. Geisler is a good writer in the sense of he writes well, and he's easy to read, easy to understand, easy to follow, brings things to life. Really enjoyed reading him through the years. And so, though I don't have one of his particular books on my top uh, 13 here, this is one of my favorite authors in general. Having set those rather vague parameters, I'm going to start out with number 13 and work our way up the list to number one. First half of this list isn't set in any type of particular order. They're kind of chosen at random and placed there, but once we get toward the end of the list, towards our top five or so, those will be in order of importance. So with no further ado, the first book that I have on my list, we'll say number 13, is Mature Enough for Marriage by James Orton. Now this is a difficult book to get a copy of because it's out of print. However, if you dig around, ask around, you may be able to find copies of the book. Uh, maybe somebody has an extra copy or they have a copy that you can borrow. But it's centered on young people and how they should be living and developing their life while they are approaching marriage. Uh, some of the advice that Brother Orton provides in the book is just good life advice in general. I remember as I was contemplating marriage, as I was engaged, I read this book a couple times. I had my wife, Savannah, read the book before we got married. And there were a lot of really just practical, sensible, wise pieces of advice that were given about life in general, being a compatible partner for your spouse, what to expect in marriage, how to take away some false expectations, set realistic concepts of marriage in mind, and to think maturely about adulthood and marriage in general. So for people in the age of 18 and to married, I would say, this is just really good, practical, wise advice for life provided from a great gospel preacher. And I would recommend you do the digging that's necessary to get a copy obtain a copy, and read it. Number 12 on the list is a book called Life on the Edge. Now, if you have ever gone to church with me as a young person and have graduated high school, you have probably gotten a copy of this book as a graduation present. If you have not yet received a graduation present from me and you expect one, you can probably expect a copy of this book. I read this book while I was in college, I believe. I believe I was a freshman in college. And Really helpful material. Dobson discusses what he calls the critical decade in a young person's life, which is from the age of 16 to age 26. And he just calls it the critical decade because within those 10 years, you will make more decisions that have a tremendous impact in your life than you will at any other 
point in life. For instance, where are you going to co go to college? Who are you going to marry? Uh, what type of occupation are you going to undertake for the rest of your life? Who, which friends are you going to make? How are you going to deal with peer pressure? Uh, should you engage in premarital sex? Should you uh, participate in drug activity? What about drinking, alcohol? All different kinds of challenges that face every single young person aged 16 to 26. You can fudge those numbers just a little bit depending on who, which case particular you're talking about. But about 16 to 26, major critical life decisions that you have to make at a point in life where you are not overly prepared to make them wisely. So he's just giving some really great practical advice to young people of how to live life at a very difficult moment as you make life-changing decisions. Life on the Edge by James Dobson. Number 11 on the list. I read this book when I was in either middle school or high school. I'm not sure which one. I was homeschooled. This was part of the curriculum we were going through and was required reading. It's called The Hiding Place by Corey Tinboon. This is a really fascinating book. It's, it's a true story. Uh, Corey Ten Boone lived during World War II and lived part of her life in concentration camps. She grew up in Switzerland, and her and her family hid Jews from the Nazis during World War II. They were uh, eventually discovered, and she and her sister spent time in a concentration camp where her sister died. Yet after she survived, she would go back and visit the concentration camps and visit some of the soldiers who beat her and treated her terribly while she was in the camp. It's a really incredible story of faith and of love, being willing to forgive people who had wronged her. I used to pick up copies of this whenever I saw it and just kind of would give them away to, if somebody I met had never read the story because I think it's that good of a book. It's one that you're not going to be able to put down, but it's also going to impact your thinking change the way you you think about the common everyday blessings that you have in life and how much you take for granted. Well, one time I was ordering books from a fella, and on his list I saw a, copy, a couple copies of Corey Boone's book, The Hiding Place, and so I just told him, go ahead, throw those copies in. And when they arrived, I opened one up, and right in the front cover, she had signed her name. So it's an autographed copy that I now possess. I'm really kind of proud of that book's little old paperback. But really special book because of the impact it's had in my life and considering how blessed we have life within this country and in this this time where we have freedom of religion for the most part, this is a, a beautiful thing that shouldn't be taken for granted. Number 10 on my list is Darwin's Leap of Faith by John Ankerberg and John Weldon. This book introduced me to... Charles Darwin and his theory of evolution, natural selection, survival of the fittest, gave you a basic general concept of the framework off of which evolution operates and how, much, how many assumptions are made as a basis for the theory. How things like the Big Bang Theory has no foundational basis to it whatsoever. How does What's the difference between macro and micro evolution? I was uh, 13, I believe. My father required that I read this as part of my schooling for science one year, in addition to the other science that we were doing. And I found this book very helpful as a young person. Uh, gave me a good 
framework again to understand or set of lenses, you might say, to understand the worldview of evolution and to understand some of the major challenges and impacts that the theory has had on the thinking world and even on the religious world. I don't know if it's been so long since I've read it. You know, I'm sure there's other books that are equally as good or maybe even better. This was simply one of the books through which I was introduced to the creation evolution uh, discussion, and it helped form formulate my thinking. I thought it did a good job at that. It was a book that I read with my father, so there was some hands-on guidance as he was saying, no, look out for this, or look out for that, or here, this is really important right here. So that was very helpful. I think when we're talking about apologetics, it's really good to have someone to have that type of discussion and safety net approach for you. There's a lot of arguments that are made against evolution that aren't helpful arguments. There are some arguments that are made that are extremely helpful and relevant, and you can have a wide variety of uses for them. And so... I, th I thought this was a pretty good introduction for my sake. Maybe you find something better. Again, I'm sharing these because these are books that left a mark on my thinking. And I appreciate my father for having made me read that, which draws me to another point that I wanted to make in this podcast episode. If you're a parent listening to this, you might consider getting some of these books and having your children read them. I wish that my father had had me read more Granted, I didn't really like reading, so if you'd asked me as a 12-year-old, 13-year-old, 16-year-old, if I'd wanted my dad to assign me more reading books, I probably would have said no. But now, looking back, I can tell books that I was required to read that did have an impact on my life, and I wish that there had been a little bit more of that. And I had a unique situation, which a fair amount of that was done anyway. So... Just share that with you parents for what that's worth, a little food for thought. Coming in at number nine is a book that I only discovered probably six or seven years ago, and it would not have been around when I was a young younger person, but is a book I think is tremendously important for young people to read, any young Christian. You don't have to be young age-wise if you're young in the faith or a beginning Bible student or beginning to teach. This is a critically important book. It's called Introduction to Biblical Studies by James E. Smith. This book really is a combination of two books. The first half of the book is kind of about how we got the Bible, how the canon was formed, understanding basic concepts about manuscript evidence for the Bible. And then the second half of the book is a survey of e the different periods of biblical history and an introduction to some of the all the books of the Bible. I really like James E. Smith, and in coming episodes, we're going to talk more about his writings because a lot of his writings have had major impacts on my thinking. Um, but this book in particular is helpful for young people. To give you a basic foundation of Bible knowledge off of which to build and hopefully provoke you into further Bible study. I've recommended this to a number of brethren, and a number of other brethren are recommending this work as well. I know Brother Clint France, who was on a couple weeks ago, has gotten a lot of young men to read this book, and my brother's been getting a lot of young guys to read the book as well. Really worth uh, the time and the money to invest in. It's not a cheap book. I think it's about $26, $27, but really, really good material there. Coming in at number eight, I'm not going to spend a lot of time on this one because I've mentioned it multiple times in previous podcast episodes, but Love Your God With All Your Mind by J.P. Moreland. 
Again, I didn't read this as a young person, but I think it's critical for young people to read this book. It's had a tremendous impact on my thinking. He's, he's just basically saying, look, you're in college, you're working as a young professional, you need to take your training and critical thinking that you developed in the secular world and apply that to a biblical uh, approach for life. Think critically about the Bible. Think critically about your God, about your beliefs. Why is it that you believe what you believe? How is it that you're going to further develop? A lot of it's going to come from hard work. Do the work necessary to grow as a Christian. Really helpful stuff there. And as I've recommended that book to a number of people, I constantly hear people who have either heard the recommendation on this podcast or that I've talked to you know directly coming back to me and giving me feedback on it that they have found it very helpful. There are sections of it that are dry, but it also has some really provocative, helpful material in there. Number seven on the list is Michael Shank's book, Muscle and a Shovel. I think this is a book that every young person, every young Christian should read because it gives you a basic overview of important doctrines to discuss with your neighbors and what your belief, kind of a biblical basis for some of your beliefs while at the same time modeling how to do personal evangelism. Now, one complaint that I hear from people is that it's not extremely well written. And what I mean by that is there are lots of grammatical errors. I didn't see as much of that. I'm not as attentive to that issue, but I have heard that complaint raised by several. So I just put that out there for what it's worth. Michael Schenk is kind of your average Joe guy, and he's simply telling his story of how he was converted and how the gospel was presented to him. The challenges that arose in his mind as he investigated the truth are challenges that are common to people in general. And that's one of the reasons this has been a book that a lot of people can relate to is that the difficulties that he was having in his mind with the Bible and the biblical concept of the church and Christianity and salvation are not distinct to him, but are common to people coming from a non-denominational a Calvinistic type of a background. So really helpful reading material in evangelism. It's a book that you can utilize, I believe, in a proper way for evangelizing. I'll, I'll share an example. Uh, there's a young man who I'd studied off and on with for a couple years. Another brother from church was studying with him as well. And he was having a little bit of a difficult time getting over the hump, so to speak. He understood the basic concepts that we were talking to him about the church and about salvation, but he kind of needed a push over the edge. And so before I left for Australia one year, I was going down to Australia to see my sister and hold a gospel meeting down there. I gave him a copy of the book and I said, now I want you to read this and you're probably going to have some questions when you're done. So whenever I get back, let's sit down and discuss the questions that this book raises in your mind, because it's quite a provocative read. In fact, Shank tells you in the introduction, you're either going to get angry or you're going to get converted. So anyway, I gave it to him and he wrote me just a few days later and he'd already finished the book. He couldn't put it down and he had some questions. As soon as we got back, we sat down and we had some discussion and ended up baptizing him. He's been a faithful member of the church ever since. And this book, Muscle and Shovel, had a, a major impact on helping to convert him. I think it's, again, good for modeling evangelism and is also good, good to use as an evangelistic tool. 
Coming in at number six on my list, and this is where we do get into like a ranking system, six through one should probably go in this order of importance. Anyway, number six, Living Life Backwards by David Gibson. I probably need to dedicate an entire episode to this book because I think it's that good and important. Gibson is introducing you to the book of Ecclesiastes. Ecclesiastes is a really phenomenal book because it doesn't require biblical knowledge in general to appreciate what the wise man is saying, what the preacher is saying. He's just speaking about life in general and the concepts of life under the sun or from a human perspective as opposed to life with a Godward perspective. If you can get that general framework down, that's really important to standing the, understand the overall gist of the book. Gibson's book, Living Life Backwards, is not a critical read. It's a very helpful introduction to the book. And its driving point of focus is the idea that the only certainty you have in life is that you are going to die. I mean, that's not, it's not optionable. You are going to die at some point. And thus, you need to live your life in such a way so that when you do die, you can die with comfort and accomplishment rather than looking back with many regrets. So much practical, everyday wisdom is provided in this book, wisdom provided by the preacher and illuminated in a clear, enjoyable fashion by the preacher and by David Gibson. This is a book that I've recommended and given away a number of copies of to different people, and time and time and time again, people have come back and told me how much they've enjoyed reading Gibson's book. In fact, a brother from church recently, he asked me if I had any recommendation on the book of Ecclesiastes, and I said, yeah, I gave him a copy of Gibson's book, and he went and purchased a copy for every member at church. I think this is a book that would be good to give to young people or to Christians in general who are not plugged in, so to speak. It's not that they've left the church. Maybe they are drifting, but they're they're just not as engaged as what they should be. I think this is a good little motivational piece that can help push them in the right direction by helping to get their life and their thinking in focus and in a Godward focus. Living Life Backwards by David Gibson. Number five on the list, a must-read, an absolute must-read for young people, young Christians, regardless of age, especially in the high school and the college age. Josh McDowell's book, Evidence That Demands a Verdict. This used to be published in two volumes. You can now get a one-volume edition. However you get it, just get it and read it. McDowell is going to discuss uh, the case for the resurrection. He's going to discuss manuscript evidence, historical, uh, the historicity of the Bible in general, how can we believe the Bible? All great introductory material to a defense of the basic parameters of the Bible and Christianity. This is just kind of considered a classic. Uh, McDowell is one of the ones who has made famous the argument that Jesus was either liar, lunatic, or Lord. In other words, he either intentionally deceived people, which does not make him a good person, either he was a crazy man, or he is who he claimed to be. And when you begin to investigate the evidence, I believe the first volume deals with, with uh, evidence for the Bible from a historical standpoint, and then the second volume deals with evidence for Christ 
really, really helpful material. I know a lot of people have liked the case for Christ and the case for faith and the case for the risen Lord Jesus by um, Lee Strobel. I prefer Josh McDowell's book. I just think it's it's better. It's more well-written, more to the point, and covers a general introduction to a number of areas. Number four on the list, kind of going a little bit different direction from that of apologetics. Dave Miller, who's a Church of Christ preacher from Oklahoma City, wrote a book called Richland Hills and Instrumental Music, A Plea to Reconsider. This was a book written directed at the North Richland Hills Church of Christ down in Texas, close to where I used to live. They were beginning to argue for the use of instrumental music in worship, and Dave Miller wrote a response in the form of a book where he answered every single argument that was raised by the evangelist at the time, who lived and worked at the time with Richland Hills Church of Christ. This is an extremely helpful book for young people because it shows you both the traditional argumentation regarding instrumental music, as well as the modern approach to arguing. So used to, the argument centered around the word solo, the Greek word solo, which means to sing. Uh, but a lot of people go on, based off the etymology of the word, they would try to argue that it, to sing or to solo meant to pluck on a string. And they would argue that the word solo authorized the use of instruments of music. However, the modern argumentation has shifted away from a discussion of solo and has been more or less directed toward do we have to have authority for what we do as the church in worship. You need to have a background on both areas. You need to understand the historical argument of solo and how to answer that, as well as the more modern approach to authority in general. This is an extremely good book that discusses all of the major arguments regarding the use of instrumental music in worship and even some historical background for the topic. You can download a free copy of this book off of our website, christianresearcher.com. In the description on whatever platform you are listening, there is a hyperlink that will take you directly to the downloadable PDF file. Now, if you would like an actual physical copy in book form, You can also find that on our website in the bookstore. We have several copies of that available, but you can download again for free the PDF, Richland Hills and Instrumental Music, A Plea to Reconsider by Dave Miller. Okay, now we're getting down to the end. The top three recommendations for young people. Coming in at number three is a book by Mike Willis called Proverbs. It's part of the Bible textbooks that was published by Guardian of Truth and is sold by CEI Bookstore. So you can go to ceibooks.com and pick up a copy of Mike Willis's Proverbs, part of the Bible Textbooks series. The reason this was such a monumental book in my life was because of the impact that it had on my family as a whole and my thinking in particular. Every morning growing up, as we were homeschooled, we would sit down around the kitchen table and we would do some Bible reading and we would have a workbook that we would use to study with. We used different study tools, some of which I'll talk about in a moment. But one of the study tools Dad picked up and we went through at least twice, maybe even three times, was this book by Mike Willis on the book of Proverbs. This had a tremendous impact because we began reading a proverb a day. Well, 
for as long as I can remember, we always had Bible reading at night. As we got into, high, into I don't know, maybe middle school or high school, we started having Bible reading of the morning time and of the evening time. And the morning reading was supplemented by workbook uh, work as well. And whenever we started go through the book of Proverbs, we began to incorporate whatever day of the month it was. We would read that chapter within the book of Proverbs as part of our daily reading. And Proverbs practical wisdom began to take effect in our life. And you could always find parts of your week that related to something that you read within the book of Proverbs. It's a great practice to begin. And Mike Willis does a good job of introducing the book of Proverbs in a topical sort of fashion and showing all the different areas and aspects of life that Proverbs speaks to. It's interesting, here a little while back I was reading a book on preaching called Preaching Values by James E. Smith, and he was talking about how to teach from different portions of the Bible. And Smith argued that the book of Proverbs was probably the most neglected book of the Bible for the majority of Christians. I found that quite shocking whenever I read that. That's not what would have been on my list if I was going to say, you know, what's the most neglected book? I'd probably argue Leviticus or Numbers or Song of Solomon. But Smith argued for Proverbs. And I probably have a unique experience in that we studied a lot from Proverbs as a result of Willis's book. But regardless of whether he's right or I'm right, I do think Proverbs is somewhat of a neglected book by and large, yet such a practical, down-to-earth book. And whether it's Willis or someone else on Proverbs, you need to begin incorporating the book of Proverbs in your daily reading and your life. And so I include Willis's book because of the impact it's had on my and my thinking and that of my family. Coming in at number two, this is a book that my father really loved and is used in Bible studies as long as I can remember. Had us go through as a family a few times. I read this on my own. In fact, whenever I first started getting up short talks to give at church or uh, standing behind the ironing board in my living room, as dad would have me teach the family, was Leroy, Leroy Brownlow's book, Why I'm a Member of the Church of Christ. Brownlow provides 20-plus reasons why you should investigate the Church of Christ and basic concepts about the church that most of your denominational neighbors and friends have no clue about. And it really shows the distinctive biblical nature of the church as opposed to that of the denominational model. All denominations are not equal. There was one church built by the Lord, Matthew 16, verse 18, on this rock I will build my church and the gates of Hades will not prevail against it. And you can't substitute your own pattern or your own design for a church for that that was given by Christ. Brownlow does an excellent job of breaking down the concept of the church into small, concise, manageable, uh, digestible bits from the Bible to give you an overall structure for seeing the church and to teach that to your neighbor. Uh, coincidentally, on our website and the link that I've provided in the description, on whatever platform you're on, you will find not only the book, Why well, I'm a Member of the Church of Christ, but also a workbook that has been developed to accompany the reading and to assist in Bible studies. I'd encourage you to pick up a copy of both the workbook and the book and begin utilizing that within your family as you raise your young people, if you're a parent, or 
in your own personal studies so that you can better be equipped to evangelize or in the home Bible studies that you conduct with uh, unbelievers out in the world. Really helpful, classic material. The number one recommend that I have for young people and I would say for families in general are the Granville Tyler Bible workbooks, particularly the three volumes on the New Testament. I believe there's like nine or ten volumes on the Old Testament, but the three on the New Testament are particularly helpful. Again, as we grew up, we would sit down at the breakfast table and we would traditionally go through the Granville Tyler workbooks as an accompaniment to our daily reading. So Granville Tyler's nothing fancy, it's just a simple model that says, okay, you read three or four chapters and after you've read the chapters together and out loud, you answer the questions within the workbooks. Granville Tyler always included 10 answer in a few words, uh, 10 fill in the blanks, 10 yes, no, 10 true, false. So you're answering 40 questions about the three to four chapters worth of reading material. It's a very simple, systematic approach to reading through the New Testament and asking questions as you go along. One of the things that this did for us was, one, it gave us a structure and a consistency to go through the material. Two, it gives you some points of focus within the reading material as well. But three, it develops the concept of asking questions of the text. Now, he provides 40 questions for every three chapters, but those aren't the only 40 questions that could be asked. Yet it does introduce the reader to asking questions of the text, which is very helpful. I I can't hardly remember a time when we as a family were not going through the Granville Tyler workbooks. We would go through the New Testament set, then we go through the New Testament set again, then we go through the Old Testament, then we go back to the New, go back through the New again, just over and over and over again. We probably went through the workbooks seven to ten times as a family while I was living at home. And that's taking breaks occasionally to mix in like a Mike Willis Proverbs volume or another book on Proverbs as we went along, but by and large, our morning devotional, whatever you want to call it, consisted of working through the Granville Tyler workbooks, and I've known a number of families that have done this. I've known a number of congregations that on Wednesday night, they incorporated his question system into their Bible study, be it as part of the teaching program itself for the evening, or as an introduction to the service. Uh, I remember when I was living at the Tyler uh, not Tyler, at the McAllister Church of Christ, the first congregation I work with in McAllister, Oklahoma, at C. and Tyler. That's why I'm thinking of Tyler. The C. and Tyler Church of Christ on Wednesday nights, uh, typically, Brother Bill Verner would get up and he would read off his answers to whatever lesson people had supposed to have read the previous week. And after he read the answer to the questions, and he would sit down, and then we would have the teaching on the evening. I think that's a very helpful and practical uh, process that helps the congregation read through the Bible in general and uh, look inductively into the text. I hope that you found this episode helpful, that you found these recommendations be of interest, and that you'll consider picking up copies of it. If you have any questions, you can send them to us at christianresearcher at gmail.com. If you have any books that you would like to recommend for, for young people in particular that have impacted your life, either as a young person or reflecting back on your youth, saying you wish you had read this book, please send that to us as well. We would like to hear your thoughts and be able to expand and incorporate some more material as we try to get young people involved in studying the Bible.
Thanks for listening in. Tuning in again next week as we will continue this series of books that have left Mark. God bless. The praise is yours alone, you're worthy, worthy of all. Our God is ever almighty, he's ever almighty to save. Our God is ever almighty, he's ever almighty ever almighty to say.